Hey everyone, welcome to Open Door Philosophy, a podcast about philosophy made accessible for listeners, continually evolving towards embodying the virtues. I'm Andrew's former philosophy teacher, Derek Parsons. And continually evolving towards embodying the vices, I am Mr. Parsons' former philosophy student, Andrew Graziano. Oh dear, I can't wait to talk about that. Okay, welcome to episode 40, where we will discuss one of Plato's best-known dialogues on the topic of justice, from book two of his masterwork, The Republic. Better known as The Ring of Gyges, which asks us to consider if we are good only because there is the possibility of getting caught. Is that the only reason we're good? I mean, Andrew, if you're continually evolving towards the, the vices, <laughs> well, then um, I think this uh, is a, about a life caught? update, rather. Um, the biggest vice of all, I think I have started a coffee addiction. <laughs> and I'm very disappointed about that, but um, oh. I am. I am. I, I actually despise, I despise coffee. <laughs> Why is that? Um, I've never wonderful. wanted to be a, someone who drinks coffee, but um, oh. I've started to drink it occasionally one cup a week and it's making me very sad so i am i'm evolving towards the vice of coffee <laughs> anyway oh man uh, is it like a, a moral issue are you yeah is there something morally wrong with coffee or <laughs> or you just don't want to be that guy who's like me uh who drinks like four or five i, I cups think a day? i think it's there's something morally wrong with it no <laughs> <laughs> i think <laughs> It's about resource extraction, no, nope, or nope, <laughs> nope. It's just it's just like an evil in itself kind of thing. Oh no, I'm I'm kidding. Coffee's the embodiment of evil. Yeah, uh, no I, doubt. I guess no. I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think I I've just always I've never wanted to drink coffee. Always been like a staunch tea supporter. So okay. even when I have the even when I have the slightest uh, smell of coffee, I'm just so disappointed in myself. Mm. I'm just like angry about it. Uh, well, yeah. you know, it is getting cooler outside. So, well, you know, cooler for Houston. Uh, so coffee is a good, it's a good time to start drinking more coffee, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Anyway, how, how are you doing? How's the, I guess the first, what is it called? Nine weeks are coming to a close. Oh, we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. You're, first day. Of today. Is that, is that like, that's the midterm season? I'm, I think. I forget. Yeah, that'll come. Yeah, in a few weeks, uh, actually, the okay. third week of October, I believe. Uh, I'd have to look okay. at the calendar, but yeah, you know, first essays have come in and they've gone out, and I've ripped them apart and humiliated the students. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. I really try to reinforce positive thinking with the students uh, on their essay comments. But yeah, no, it's all good, and uh, life's good here at home with the kids. What am I saying with the kids? We don't have kids. By kids, I mean our three cats and two dogs. But yeah, looking forward to some autumn weather, which typically begins to come around the middle of October, if not the end of October. So we're, we're getting there. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And then I'm going to be complaining in about uh, two months about how cold it is. So Yes, you will. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes, you will. I should buy you a parka. Like a Christmas gift, or the Christmas gift. Well, today the uh, we're, we're discussing we're discussing morality, so we're back to the to the issue of morality, and then the subset of that, the uh, what is called justice, the virtue of justice, and how it is presented in Plato's great masterwork, The Republic. So here we go. Before we launch into one of the most famous. 
I guess, thought experiments. Would you call it a thought experiment, Mr. So, Persons? Yeah, so, okay. So yesterday when I was working up this episode, I was thinking to myself, is this a thought experiment? I kind of toyed around with how I was writing the intro to it. And yeah. I was like, do I call it's it, kind it of a like an analogy experiment, or something? an analogy? Do I call it an allegory? Anyway, I, you sure. Yeah, it counts as a yeah. thought experiment, yeah. I believe. I'll call it a thought experiment. Although I don't know that a lot of people would refer to it as that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it would be, but uh, we can talk about that. Anyway, before we get into one of the most famous thought experiments, analogies, allegory, I don't know if it's an allegory, but one of the most famous stories in philosophy, let's do a little bit of talking about Plato and the Republic as a whole. Plato was, of course, a very famous, if not the most famous follower of Socrates. Uh, when Socrates was executed in 399, BC, Plato was probably around, I don't know, in his mid-20s, sometime around his mid-20s. The beginning of Plato's corpus, the Apology, the Crito, the Euthyphro, the Phaedo, those are all kind of recollections, rewritings, maybe dramatizations of Socrates' final days. The Republic, however, is what we call Plato's middle period of his work which is where he starts eliminating more and more of Socrates' original ideas that we see in his early corpus, such as the Apology. And we're starting to see Plato really develop his own ideas in ways that are more conflicting towards the early part of his canon. And so that's why we kind of make the division and we say that this is where he's making his own ideas. At this point, some people may be wondering why, if you know Plato, if this is Plato starting to delve into his own ideas, why the Republic is written from Socrates' perspective, and that's pretty much just Plato's modus operandi. For the majority, I think ninety-nine percent of Plato's works are written from Socrates' point of view. And if we were a literary podcast, and maybe in another podcast episode. We can talk more about that. But for today's episode, let's just talk some philosophy about the Republic. You can interpret the Republic in a lot of ways, in many ways. I think a really famous interpretation is a discussion of political philosophy, what it means for a state to do good, what's the best state going to look like. I think it's Calipolis. That's the Republic of Socrates or Plato. And so that's one possible interpretation. The second interpretation that's also very common is it's a commentary on the good soul, what the good life is like. And he's using, when he's developing the idea of the city, it's in both ways, the soul and the city are analogous towards one another. And he's just building upon that. Regardless of one's view on what the Republic is really about or primarily about, It's largely concerned with the issue of justice and injustice from the beginning of book one. That's what it talks about. And because justice is important in both the city and the soul, according to Plato. So I think that's all of my intro. Mr. Parsons, do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah. uh, Hmm. So not necessarily about Plato, the philosopher, but so what we're going to talk about today is is what's referred to as by most people the ring of gyges if you go to google and just type in the ring of gyges this is this is what's going to come up what we're talking about today and within the republic even though it's one book a rather large book there are multiple famous things that might not have to do anything strictly with 
like how to rule a government, which we might immediately think due to the title. So Ringa Gyges is one of those things. Another very famous one from book seven is the allegory of the cave. Now, the allegory of the cave is probably Plato's best known, if not philosophy's best known allegory or thought experiment. And so throughout the Republic, even though it does have these sort of major theses that Andrew mentioned, you get these little little bits and pieces, these little stories here and there that are applicable to so many things outside of just the question of how is it best to run a, a republic or a city-state. So Gaijus is one of those things. It, it shows up in book two of the Republic. Andrew, you sort of mentioned uh, dialogue is Plato's, uh, what'd you call it? M- more Something operandi? Modus operandi, I think. Right? Ah, yes. Modus yeah. operandi. Is that the right operandi. term? Modus, is, modus operandi. No, that's the right term. I just couldn't remember the word modus. Um, okay. So you said, you said Plato's modus operandi is essentially dialogue. Um, so, yep. so, is there, so who are we talking to? So- Socrates, it's all written from his perspective. But who are other conversation partners in this, in this book, The Republic? Right. So there's, there's a few uh, conversational partners in book one. There's a few. Starts off with Cephalus, goes to Polemarchus, and eventually and another one. Uh, who's kind of irrelevant. Um, and then it goes to a really famous real-life sophist of the time named Thrasymachus. And Thrasymachus is probably the main, well, at least in at the end of book one, he is the person who raises up this issue that we are going to be talking about in book two. Thrasymachus was a famous Greek sophist, and that's just a sophist is just a paid teacher. Now, when we think about sophists in philosophy and studying Greek philosophy, We often think of these people who are willing to teach rhetoric, the art of persuasion, famously can take the side on any case. And so that's someone who's staunchly opposed to Socrates, who will only argue for things that he likes. And so uh, Thrasymachus is the main conversational partner in book one. And in the beginning of book two, which we're going to be concerned about today, uh, Socrates has kind of frustrated Thrasymachus. And one of Socrates' followers, Glaucon, who is also Plato's brother, takes the mantle from Thrasymachus in, in kind of a devil's advocate kind of way for Socrates to keep the conversation going, to press Socrates about his views, and to offer a very convincing challenge, I think. Um, so Glaucon is, is going to be the main opponent for today, who's going to be providing this story. And... Uh, I, I don't know. I was just think it's so interesting that Plato like works in real life people into his dialogue. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's really cool. It'd be really cool if, if we had a, a classicist on here one day to talk more about maybe the reasons why, because I don't know. I haven't read any literature on that, but I think it is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Some of his other famous works, the symposium, like a whole bunch of famous people are in that. Alcibiades, the great Athenian general. Um, also, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, was he in the Republic as well? Uh, no, 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 no. He has his own dialogue. I'm but saying that right. Yeah, Alcibiades, yeah. He has his own dialogue and another Socratic dialogue. And we can only glean from yeah. the works. So, before we get to the thought experiment that we call the Ring of Gyges, let's talk first about, because we mentioned it a couple times, it, it, it does revolve around this idea of justice. So, we all might have different conceptions of justice. Maybe what we think of justice today versus justice in the Athenian or classical conception is very different. Justice is one of the virtues 
that Greeks commonly point towards as being very important, whether that's Plato and Socrates, or whether it's Aristotle with Nicomachean ethics, or whether that's the Stoics, that it was one of the four cardinal virtues. Justice is a big deal. So, Andrew, uh, you know, sort of in the classical conception, what is justice? Like, like does it mean like, well, I don't know. You, you just go on that one. What is justice? Well, that's uh, the million-dollar question. It's going to change depending on who you're talking to. I think most Greeks would agree that it's something that's at least good. But we'll talk about that for today because that that's kind of controversial. Justice is for Plato and Socrates and for Aristotle. It's a it's a virtue, and it's a virtue that's important in a lot of things. Justice is mostly important when we think about keeping a thing ordered. And that's important because for the Greeks and for us too, I think, I can't remember if this is Socrates' analogy or or another analogy, but well, okay. It's important that something's ordered because it allows it to run well. It allows it to function well without being impaired by anything. I think this might be my own example. I can't remember. Uh, But Socrates alludes to something like this in maybe the Republic, maybe not. I can't remember. But it's like, imagine that you have a house that's like, you know, uh, maybe a hoarder lived there or something super disorganized, disordered, has a bunch of stuff laying on the floor, very hard to walk through, whatever. It's going to impair your life in living in that house. It's going to be very difficult to live, especially going to be very difficult to live well. And so in the same way, justice is this thing that's a virtue for the soul, for the state, because it allows it to live well, allows it to be organized and ordered, keeps us away from our temptations, keeps us from doing really bad things to people. At the end of book one, Socrates says that a person who is just, a just man, a just human, will live well, and an unjust one will live badly. So I guess that's that's really more of a characteristic, but yeah. I think that's what we can offer because justice is one of these concepts that's ethereal for the Greeks. A lot of people say different things. But I'll agree it's important. Yeah, the re- reason I ask is, you know, I think today a lot of our conceptions when we think of justice is that it has something to do with the justice system, mm. uh, as we call it, so law and order. That's a great uh, point. Consequences to certain actions. And I also think sometimes we think of justice as something a person is owed once they have been wronged. That's right? a great point. Uh, we say phrases like justice has been served. So I didn't know, you know, if like the Greek conception was, uh, no, justice is more like treating someone fairly rather than sort of a punitive type idea. No, I think uh, I think that, that we have like with justice system. I think that's exactly right. I think it's it's kind of a fairness thing uh, and less of giving someone what they're owed. I don't know I <laughs> I don't even know what a Greek would like Greeks I don't think they had rights, you know. I I don't know what the state owed them <laughs> oh, yeah, other I'm than the sure right. they didn't have a conception of natural Yeah, rights, I mean, you know? I don't know what yeah. what the state would have owed them other than like a right to vote and a right to work or or something like that, but that's just like for the Greeks a right to vote and a right to work or not being a bum. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a really good point though. That's a really good point. It's yeah. it's more a fairness and less of an owed kind of thing. Hmm. And I guess the last thing, I feel like I'm just, I feel like I'm peppering you with questions. The last thing I'm kind of curious about, maybe you could shed some light on perhaps the Greek conception of, of the idea of exactly what virtues 
were back then. I know today we're like, oh, patience is a virtue. But like, did it have a, a larger impact or as far as like their entire conception of what it is to live? Can you explain like what the virtues were to people who lived in the classical era? That's a really... Does that question make yes, sense? Yes, it does. It's a really okay. good question. Let me separate something real quick, though. I think that we shouldn't look back upon the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, and say they were so virtuous, they were so excellent, they were so just, because they weren't. They were kind of lazy, just like us today. They're, they're very similar. And Socrates is kind of going throughout, like, this is Socrates' purpose. He's calling out everybody. He's saying, you're, you're a lazy bum in nicer ways, probably. Uh, than I'm saying. He's saying, you're a lazy bum. You're living your life like an animal would live. You're not living a virtuous life, and, and you should. And so the idea of virtues became more common, more popular. I think after, after Socrates was harassing, uh, not literally, well, maybe harassing, harassing everyone, and that kind of trickled down from him. So I don't want to say that the Greeks had this like idea that being virtuous was so great, any different than we have it today. But a virtue is simply just something that's, it's an excellence in an art or a skill. And so we, that can, that's traditionally considered to be kind of this moral thing in the soul. For instance, like we talk about justice as a virtue, that's what we'll be talking about today. But really a virtue, uh, the Greek word is arete, it can be anything that's at least an art. So Mr. Parsons, when you're teaching in school, for instance, there's, there's an art of teaching and you can do that art well. Um, and so that's, mm-hmm. that's what the Greeks would call virtue. It's, and Socrates is going to recognize that as a virtue too. It's not just these moral things that are virtuous. It's also going to be like things you do well, like teaching or, 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 or doing something that works uh, particularly well. Okay, so from really sort of broad perspective here, we can say a virtue in a way is just doing good as opposed to not doing good. And so if we use the the teaching example, uh, I would want to hopefully strive to do that well. And that would embody arete, whereas the opposite of that is viciousness, right? So if I do a poor job of teaching, then, eh, you know... Uh, Maybe that's intentional. Maybe it's not. If, if it's accidental, like I'm having a bad day or something, um, you know, then maybe I'm not being vicious. But if I like purposefully uh, don't put any energy into creativity and doing a good job of teaching, then uh, in a very broad, like I'm saying, a very generic sense, it, that's the opposite of virtue. So that would be vicious. Yeah, that's that's right. I don't I don't necessarily want to draw that opposite side distinction because I think that is an Aristotelian concept, but I think it is very helpful to think about. I think Plato... So like the absence of virtue. Yes, yes. I think uh, Plato would would talk about it like this. If we take Thrasymachus as an example, Thrasymachus was a sophist, um, specifically a sophist in rhetoric. Socrates distinguishes like the thing that Thrasymachus teaches rhetoric as this kind of fake art, this fake technique. And that's important because it's basically, if something's not an art, if it's not a technique, it's not going to help the soul become better. It's not going to help you live well. So I think when I think about like a something that's not a virtue, it's just a thing that's not really going to help you live well. It's not improving your life. 
it might be hurting your life too, but it's definitely not helping. And I'm not sure if Socrates would say this, but maybe he would. It's like, well, why would you spend your time doing something that's not going to help you out? Why, why are you going to spend your time on doing something that's either going to hurt your soul or just waste your time? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So all this talk about justice and and what it means and and how it should fit into our lives as far as virtues go, a lot of this is addressed in the Republic. And so the Ring of Gyges, what we're focusing on today, we find in book two. And like Andrew said earlier, it's Socrates and Glaucon having this dialogue about justice specifically. And this example of the Ring of Gyges is brought up to help deal with this question of justice. So, Andrew, could you uh, tell us about the Ring of Gyges? Uh, what is it? What is this? What is this mysterious ring we've been talking about? Yeah. So, let me do the ten thousand foot view. Basically, the Ring of Gyges is the story that Glaucon proposes in Book Two of the Republic, which is, in a way, which aims at showing Socrates and the reader that there are occasions that it would be better to be unjust and just. And so the ring, the ring analogy basically is that imagine, well, don't imagine. Glaucon identifies this guy named Gyges, whose ancestor, who I think is also named Gyges, mythically had this ring that would, when he put it on, allowed himself to turn invisible and to do all these kind of things without getting caught. He steals like some flocks from the king. Uh, He puts back on the ring, sleeps with the king's wife, and then goes, kills the king, takes over the kingdom. So now he's the ruler, has a lot of power. And so that's like, that's, I think, the basic idea of the Ring of Gyges. We can talk about this other conception in a second, or we can do it now, whatever you think is best. Well, I was going to bring up, uh, I think, so the, if I recall, the argument that leads up to this discussion of this particular ring situation where someone can just become invisible and do what they want without getting caught is that the question arises as to whether or not people are only good because we are afraid of being caught. That's sort of the underlying question at stake here. What if we could just become invisible? How, how good would we still be? How just, right? would we still be if we, if we had uh, if we knew no one was watching us and you know like in an age where we're probably very watched and whether we know that it's happening or not this is an interesting question so i don't know uh, that, that, if i'm right like, yeah that's that's that, the main that's the question correct, leading up to that's me. the correct context so in book at the end of book one thrasymachus poses the definition of justice as justice is the advantage of the stronger then he adapts this kind of idea that injustice is actually going to be better for us. So just take this example. It's better to steal a lot of money uh, because you're going to have a lot of money. It's better to cheat on your homework because you're going to get a good grade probably. Socrates retorts back with, well, or maybe I, I don't think this is Socrates, but someone in the crowd retorts back that like, yeah, it's not going to be better for you if you're going to get caught because if you get caught, cheating on your homework, you're going to fail the course. If you get caught stealing, you're not going to have the money. You're going to get thrown in jail. So Thrasymachus, or I think Thrasymachus brings up the idea or Glaucon brings up the idea that 
Injustice is better than justice if you don't get caught. It's more beneficial. And so, yes, that's, that's mm. the context for the analogy. Mm-hmm. Glaucon's providing an example of an instance where you want to get caught doing unjust things. Yeah, it's a great question. Like how, how much, like what would the world be like, you know, if we all had a, a magical ring of gaijis? Is that a world we want to live in? Now, of course, we're talking about some pretty dramatic things like stealing money and sleeping with someone's wife. But, you know, if we can make this a little more less dramatic, I suppose, in real world to us. And let's talk about speeding. Like when we're driving our cars, there is a speed limit and we're driving around and we want to get to a place quicker (laughs) and we push that boundary, or at least I do. (laughs) I push that boundary as close as I can, thinking like, okay, how far can I push this with if I do get caught that they'll basically let me off with a warning or something like that? Like on a long road trip cross country, I usually do like three, four miles over the speed limit because I know that somewhere out there, there may be a police officer watching me and I might get caught. So the question is, if I could slip that ring on and drive as fast as I would want to, you know, is there an upper threshold? At some point, would something within me kick in and morally and say like, oh, wait a minute, I might be endangering others if I drive... I don't know, 120 miles per hour. I don't think I've ever driven over <laughs> like 100 miles in my entire life. But, uh, you know, uh, w- would something kick in at some point where I begin considering the concerns of others? Or would I just strictly be selfish and saying, like, I'm driving all the way to Colorado, man. It's a long ways. If I drive 120 miles per hour, slip this ring on, I can get there a lot quicker. So there's a more, like, less dramatic example than, say, stealing money or yeah, and, trying and to even take like- power and rule a kingdom or something like that. And even I think Glaucon provides this, like it, I don't think the reasons too. like, like your cross country example, it's not really a bad motive, right? You just want to get to your place like a few minutes quicker. It's not, it's not that bad. And Glaucon also does another thought experiment a little bit later where he takes like a really just person or, or someone who seems just who like does great things with the ring, who like will steal one sheep from someone who has a lot and, and will sacrifice it to the gods and help out someone who's poor, will hurt someone who's corrupt and unjust, free like a slave or someone who's wrongfully enslaved. You could do good things with the ring. It's, it's not all bad, but it's like the question in that is it's right. still a bad action. So that's, that's kind of the concerning thing for Socrates. And I always thought that was interesting. It's a distinction that I never drew. Plato's also considering like the action apart from the motives. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's and like consequences. And I think that's important uh, because it really does highlight how scrupulous Plato's thinking about justice is. It's like your actions, every action needs to be good. It needs to be just in the sense that even if you want to get caught doing something, you need to do the right thing. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, to take a Kantian view of this, the idea is that consequences and, and motive, while are important, really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. Well, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but that doing the right thing, regardless of context, is important to Socrates. And that's what Socrates is after. That's what Plato's after, right? To distill this 
idea of justice down as far as we can and just discern what is good and, and what is not good without context, ideally. But that leads to another question, you know, is, is context important in yeah, certain cases? Yeah, that's true. I don't know if this is what you're thinking of, but th- this is what I'm thinking of. It's it, it might be like a Robin Hood thing. Maybe this like, mo- well. Oh, right. Sure. Maybe like uh, some mafia lord has like a, a lot of money and, you know, yeah, I don't know, like a mafia guy. If he doesn't die, he's going to kill like a nun or something. I don't know. And so you have to go break in, steal all his money or like kill the guy because he's going to kill a nun. Not the nuns. I think it's more weird for me thinking about it in that way and in the way of it not being these just things that we can do with their ring in doing injustice. That's the thing that bothers me. It's not, you know, I can go steal as much McDonald's as I want or like whatever. It's really that it's, it's, it's kind of that small action things, I think. Yeah, and I guess when you think of the Ring of Gaiji, probably one of the first things that people think of is just going out and doing like mischievous yeah. things that you could get away with, like stealing a bunch of McDonald's cheeseburgers. I would recommend a, a higher quality cheeseburger for you to steal if you're going to go through the trouble. <laughs> when you're but, you speeding, know, McDonald's yeah. isn't bad, especially if you're on a long road trip. They're everywhere. But <laughs> yeah, when you're speeding, that's right. But that's what we all probably think of when we think immediately of this Ring of Gaiji scenario. You would do mischievous things. But then you do get to this yeah. larger question, like you said, uh, robbing the rich to feed the poor kind of business. Uh, that seems just we could put it in sort of a modern context and take, I don't know, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, who has a, an absurd amount of money. And, you know, we, we have this idea, uh, not this idea, we have this group of people out there that are called hacktivists who will hack into systems and essentially be Robin Hood, right? And disrupt powerful people to thwart their plans and stuff like that. And what if uh, what if these hackers, you know, start hitting Jeff Bezos and redistributing that wealth? Hackers wouldn't get caught unless they do. But in the, say in this scenario, hackers wouldn't get caught. Jeff Bezos really isn't any worse off for it. I mean, we would consider it a victimless crime. A lot of people would anyway, depending on the amount of money that's taken. A lot of good would result of it, that redistribution of wealth to others who are suffering. Seems like a good thing. But yeah, you get down to that question of, but is the action itself morally good? And I think that's what the Ring of Gaijis places us you know, in that position to answer that question. I think a big thing too is, why is it bad? Why is taking Jeff Bezos' money, why is that act bad? Why is, I don't know, just think of any good act you could do Uh, or any bad act you could do without getting caught. Why is it bad? You're not going to get caught. You're not going to face the consequences. More importantly for the Greeks, what they bring up first is like their reputation won't be harmed. And so why is it going to like, why is it bad? Why is it bad then for us to do it if we're just not going to get caught in this theoretical thought experiment or whatever we're going to call it? Yeah. So what's the answer to that? This This is a dangerous question. The answer that Socrates gives um, yes. is that it's basically going to harm your your soul, your character. It's going to harm your character. It's going to cause you to be corrupted. It's going to cause you, it's an action without virtue. And so you're kind of degrading yourself. And probably ultimately, at least for Socrates, it's going to not let, allow you to lead a, a very good life. It's not going to allow you to live a life lived well, especially if you keep doing those things a lot. 
really, I think we can just think about it. It's, it's, it's very corrupting for our character. And we'll talk about that down later, why it's, it's about corrupting. But that's like kind of a point of controversy, I think, among Platonic and Socratic scholars because they feel that Socrates' answer isn't that compelling here. Why it's bad? Well, it's going to hurt our soul. They, they don't think it's especially mm. compelling. Why is that? Well, I don't know. Why is that not a compelling answer? Well, don't we want to feel good about ourselves at the end of the um, day? Let's take the Jeff Bezos example. Do you think Plato would consider that a bad action? Comte would also, I think, consider that a bad action. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Maybe J.S. Mill, our friend, uh, or the consequentialist one. So maybe a few people would consider it bad, but others would consider it fine. Others would consider it fine. It seems kind of a more subjective oh, thing. I think many people would consider it fine. It, yeah. And I think that's the, that's the kind of sinker of why these Socratic scholars and Platonic scholars are kind of unconvinced and that there might be some richer reason for why Socrates doesn't push into it and why Glaucon doesn't push into it more. So is it by the fact that it is thieving from Jeff Bezos that makes it possibly uh, a bad action. Okay, so taking the money to redistribute to alleviate suffering of others is probably a, a very good thing, many would think. But how that money is taken and redistributed, I guess that's where the hang-up is, right? So Jeff Bezos decided to do that on his own. I mean, no one would have any problem with that. But if someone takes it in a way that is, well, obviously, just taking it, period. There's no way you can take Jeff Bezos's money from him without violating some type of, whether it's just simple decency or laws. Our general conception of virtue is that like taking something from someone else without their permission is wrong. We teach that to our children when they're growing up. And so whether it's something like hacking into his accounts uh, and liquidating them (laughs) or being more open about it and just being like, finding Jeff Bezos on the street (laughs) and holding him up at gunpoint and be like, give me a bazillion dollars. And, you know, he does, like, at least it's, you know, not done under the guise of, you know, hiding behind uh, a computer somewhere and being a hacker. But no matter how you slice that, like, you can't take the money from him without violating something. And I guess that's, I guess that's maybe what Socrates is getting at. Uh, it's, it's just kind of an unjust act. That's the thing. That's, that's the issue here. Is justice better than injustice? That's the question. That's, that's what Socrates yeah. and Thrasymachus are, are debating about. And this story seems to give an example of a time when injustice is better. And, and they recognize that. Glaucon recognizes that. Thrasymachus recognizes that. Socrates recognizes that. I think the reader would recognize that as well. These are all unjust acts, but mm-hmm. it's just an example of maybe a time when injustice is better than justice. Okay, Mr. Parsons, here's the here's the fun question with the Ring of Gyges. If you had it, what would you do with it? <laughs> so, long-time listeners will know that we've discussed this before, actually, in a previous episode on morality. I think it was episode 15. We talked about the Ring of Gyges just very briefly. We didn't spend a whole episode on it. And we asked this question. <laughs> so, I'm wondering, like, if a year later, you know, if my answer is any different. Well, the first thing I'll point out is that 
by giving my answer to this, I know that I'm being watched, right? (laughs) Assuming that uh, other people listen to the podcast, which they do. But even if they didn't, I know that I'm being watched by you, Andrew, uh, and any answer I give would be judged by you. And so in a way, it's hard to answer this question without uh, that other question, which is Glaucon asks, are, are we good only because we're afraid of getting caught? So, you know, what would I do with it? Well, to, to have fun, you know, I would, uh, I think last time we both said something like, you know, hop on an airplane and, and go to Europe or something yeah. like that without paying for it, uh, which is not the most mischievous thing in the world. Man, I don't know. Like if I had a ring that would, you know, suddenly make weight disappear from my body, I would eat like a ton of pizza and donuts and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but that's not exactly what the ring does, is it? <laughs> that's a, that's a good yeah, yeah. no. That's a good example though, too. Like because it, it's kind of the same thing, right? Like you're you're not having consequences, right? It's similar in that respect. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a, I don't think it's a bad example. Yeah, you know what I do? I would uh I would steal from work. Not necessarily items, but time. Um, I would, uh, you know, I would take a leisurely morning and uh, sit there in my office with my door closed, a nice cup of coffee, and read some books or whatever I might enjoy doing. Yeah, and then get on with my day. You know, something like that. Yeah. Don't tell my boss. <laughs> they would probably. I can't remember if this was in my like elementary school, or if this was in high school too, but I, I think. Like years ago, probably still now, but they're like very concerned with like the electricity use. So they would like, oh, uh-huh. like you would get like a, like a fake ticket or something. If you're like classroom, didn't have a, a like <laughs> turn the light off when nobody was in there and there'd be like hall monitors. I think that was in elementary school, but I don't remember. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd get fined or whatever. If you, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't remember like what, what it was. I think it was like a competition between classes. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, you know, uh, industries are always looking to cut costs. Yeah. And one of those things is make sure you turn out the lights when you leave the building for the day. Yeah. I can see them doing fake tickets to try to motivate people to <laughs> turn off the lights. There's some question as to whether or not that actually helps. But anyway. <laughs> I don't know, so what would you do? What would you do, mischievous Andrew? I, I think I, I would love, like, uh, I always think about the, the travel thing. I'd love to just, like hop on an airplane for free but i was just thinking like where would you go because that that would be like really awkward you just like have to stand the whole time would you sit on like the nasty floor like and then if you like stand in the aisle like cargo hold yeah yeah like laying in between all those like pieces of luggage and then i don't know the mechanics are kind of weird and then like what would happen if you're like behind the drink thing and like they they needed to go past you so they just like ran over you or something i don't know it sounds all weird yeah, there's some practicalities there, isn't isn't it? Um, I guess you could. I guess you could just keep getting on flights to see if there's an empty seat. Yeah, maybe it's not a full flight, and then if it's a full flight, you quickly rush off the plane. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Yeah, that's not bad. Sit in first class. Oh boy. Yeah. 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 yeah if there's a first class seat, of course they wouldn't serve you all that stuff that you. That's true. Get with like first class, like the- but at least you'd be in a comfortable seat, yeah. man. I mean, I don't know what your flight to Europe was this summer, yeah. but uh, man, 10, 10 hours in one of those little it's uh, exhausting, you know, business class seats is not terribly comfortable. Awful. Yeah. It is awful. Yeah. Yeah. And it is kind of a different question, right? Like I was thinking of uh, of the time turner and Harry Potter, you know, Hermione has this, yeah. this time turner, uh, which allows her to attend multiple classes at the same time. 
such a Hermione thing to do. I know. Well, I was thinking of you actually. You're like, oh, you know, there's this class I want to attend, but I sure don't want to, uh, you know, have to do all the homework and everything that's associated with it. So I'll just uh, invisibly audit this course. That's true. Very, very true. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. That'd be cool. Uh, You know, you could get into like some cool things like a concert or, you know, a sports game or something for free. You know, that'd be nice. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. I wish I could figure out free parking. You make your car invisible. You always have to pay like twenty bucks at those places. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, you could you could you could <laughs> just like ride and like hijack somebody's car or something. Like, I don't know. oh yeah, you just yeah. hop in someone's hop car. In somebody's car. That would be. Oh, you know, what you could do. You could you could get in. You could just like do a day in an Uber and just see wherever the person drives. <laughs> <laughs> you just sit in their passenger seat. and They don't know it the whole time. <laughs> do you think they would hear you? Like or something? <laughs> How's this ring work? I think. Like, do you have to be quiet? I think someone would get really freaked out. Yeah. 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 Oh, speaking of uh, Harry Potter and stuff and sneezing, I will point out this ring idea shows up in all kinds of like fiction. Yeah. So Lord of the Rings, uh, the, the Ring of Power makes Frodo invisible, and then uh, of course it costs him. It costs him in his uh, in his sanity in some ways. But also, of course, the uh, well, it was the invisibility cloak. I think is what it was called in Harry Potter. So they put on this cloak and they can sneak around and listen to important conversations and stuff like that. So I don't know if this is the first time an, an idea like the Ring of Gaiji shows up in in literature with with Plato, but certainly something that's been used and fantasized about for centuries. Well, all right. Uh, is there any conclusion to this? Does Plato? Socrates, do they ever really offer a, a conclusion to this question of, of justice and goodness and the ring and all that business? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I think basically it's kind of what we were, what we were saying earlier. It's, it's if we think about justice as like this virtue and we can't get that virtue if we're not practicing it, if we're doing unjust things, when we do an unjust thing, we're not being virtuous, we're not being good. And what Socrates says is justice benefits its possessors and injustice harms them. Um, mm. And it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting in the sense of, and I'm, I think I'm just putting this together, but when we think about a, a morally bad act, we think about it in terms of praise and blameworthiness from others. Um, and that's the very, like, I don't know, like the consequentialist or even Kantian thing. That's what we say. An action is plain, praiseworthy or blameworthy. But for Socrates, it's it's more of an internal thing. Mm. Doing a bad act, it doesn't matter. Like, doing a bad act doesn't matter from other people just as much as doing a good act does not matter. Receiving praise from a good act is, like, pointless for Socrates. And doing a bad thing and not getting caught. It's, it's just like, you still did a bad thing. It doesn't matter if you're not going to get blamed. It's just bad. And in that sense, you're just hurting yourself. So that's, I think Socrates's point. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting, right? Like the outward consequences versus the inward consequences, like consequences in society and how people view us and all that sort of stuff versus the inward self, the soul. And that's what I, you know, Socrates and many of the classical philosophers were all about, which was the cultivation of the soul, the cultivation of the self, to be the most to be the most just person that you can be. And at the end of the day, knowing that, as the old phrase goes, 
you know, when you do something wrong, people say something like, uh, oh, how do you sleep at night? If you're a person who constantly manipulates people and stuff like that, like how, how do you live with yourself? And I think that's really what the Socratics and, and other associated philosophers are after equanimity and uh, which is tranquility of mind or uh, eudaimonia, this sort of notion of flourishing or arte, ec- excellence. It is the cultivation of the soul, of the person, of the character, which if you do tend to, it will provide you that piece of life that people are after, like the good life, as, as Socrates and Plato say it. The good life is not achieved by what others think of you. The good life is achieved by your internal self and your own character. So I know there's like no solid conclusion on it, but that's kind of what I, I lean towards. And I think, and I also, you know, as a personal philosophy, I think is very important. Alrighty, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I sound like a race car driver announcer <laughs> or something. Uh, <laughs> Start your engines. <laughs> well, anyway, all right, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this very exciting and hopefully just episode of The Ring of Gyges. We hope you learned a lot about this really influential thought experiment and hope you check it out for yourself. Yeah, and if you'd like to contact us about any of the ideas that you had as related to this episode, questions, or anything else related to philosophy, hit us up on our social medias. We've got two Twitters. That's an Open Door Philosophy Twitter, and then my own Twitter, Derek underscore Parsonage. And we also have our Instagram, uh, Open Door Philosophy. And we also have a website with all kinds of uh, resources, uh, episodes arranged by category and topic. Uh, so a good thing to check out as well. Oh, and we also have an email at contact at opendoorphilosophy.com. So we'd love to hear from you. Special shout out to Kevin McLeod for the use of his music and the intro and the outro. It's really, really groovy. I think even uh, Gaijis would dance to it when he was invisible. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, Kevin McLeod's all over the place out there, people, for uh, for creators to use his music. And it's good stuff. So check it out. And uh, you know what? I guess that's it. Oh, man. Over so soon. <laughs> well, all right, everybody. Remember, when your life is in need of some philosophy, the door is always open. See you later. Thanks. Peace.